Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. But I just want to make it clear that mayoral control, thanks to our coalition of, um, of fighters, like we, we have an elected school board. That's a good thing. And it gives us another pathway forward. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Chicago Teachers Union President Stacy Davis Gates, who identified a man named Brandon Johnson a long time ago to be on her leadership team. And now he's on the doorstep of the mayor's office. Stacy, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you, Fran. Johnson finished second with 21.6 percent of the vote. What surprised you, if anything, about the way he managed to make it this far? Well, you know, I would like to say that Karen Lewis chose Brandon Johnson to be a part of her leadership team. And um, he was just left over like I was after uh, Karen retired. Um, And I would say that Chicago is going to fall in love with Brandon Johnson. Um, I'm not surprised by Um, his surge and the momentum that his campaign has. Brandon is an honest guy who takes care of people. Um, He's a dad, he's a husband, he's an organizer, and anyone who can um, teach um, 12, 13, and 14-year-olds are, you know, they're heroes. Um, You know, my household has middle school students right now, and God bless middle school teachers. Brandon Johnson punched his ticket to the runoff by winning nine progressive wards on the north and northwest sides and along the lakefront. The first, 26, 33, 35, 40, 46, 47, 48, and 49. He won three Hispanic wards, 33, 35, and and 26, but he did not win a single African-American ward. He finished third behind Lightfoot and Vallis in the 29th, a close second in a handful of other wards, including the third, fourth, fifth, and 20th, and a distant second in a bunch of others, 6, 7, 8, 9, 16, 17, 18, 21, 24, 28, and 37. All that detail to say he has a long way to go to get to the 80% of the Black vote that a lot of experts believe he needs to get over the finish line. How do you plan to help him do that without dividing Chicago along racial lines in a very divisive way? See, I think that the rubric being used right now to evaluate his pathway is a flawed rubric. 
because it depends on the tropes of the the type of um, racism that has permeated um, these contests before, right? Um, what you started with, Fran, was that he was able to build coalition, right? So what you did was you named all the places where you didn't see him. What you should be adding up is all of the places where he built coalition and team. And then you have to count that up. What you see with Brandon's leadership is multi-generational. Even more so, it is multiracial. It is working class. Those are the types of, um, that's the type of table that he's building for this city. So it doesn't surprise me that how people are evaluating his pathway is somewhat um, antiquated. A black man can get votes from fill in the blank. Barack Obama was president of the United States of America, a black man. And so you can put together a multiracial coalition, even in Chicago, um, as the pathway um, to the mayor's office. Okay, so to describe for me your pathway for him to get to the mayor's office. He's got to make up a lot of ground here. Well, let's say this. Paul Vallis is um, the contrast to Brandon Johnson. And so on one hand, you have an individual who is a middle school teacher, who is an organizer, who lives in the city of Chicago and who's a Democrat. On the other side of that, you have someone who resides in the suburbs who's a Republican and has failed at everything um, he's done um, previously. Um, look, our pension fund, um, the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund, is underfunded as a result of his leadership and the decisions that he made when he was in charge of the Chicago Public Schools. Um, he left Philadelphia with an $80 million, Philadelphia schools with an $80 million budget hole. And then he went to New Orleans at a time where the city was its most vulnerable post Katrina. And he um, basically wiped away the rest of the public school system in that space. So I think the contrast in itself gives people pause. And, and we haven't even talked about how all of the Republicans are loving up on him. Heck, um, just this week, Ken Griffin said out loud, Paul Vallis. Ken Griffin is also saying Ron DeSantis. And so you have an individual in Chicago um, who, if he isn't Republican, Republicans think he's Republican. Now, you say that he doesn't live in Chicago, but he says that he and his wife live separately and that he lives in a, an apartment in Bridgeport. Look, um, I've been with my husband um, for almost 20 years, and um, we've been married for 14. Um, we live in the same house. We sleep in the same bed. Well... I understand that, but don't you think it's possible that other marriages are arranged differently or do you not believe him? I think it is possible that um, he lives in the suburbs and he wants to run a city um, like Chicago um, and will get an apartment in a neighborhood in Chicago. But that's, um, that's neither here nor there at this point. He's on a ballot. And so him being on the ballot is the thing that we have to talk about. And I think that we also have to talk about his record. And I think his record 
and the conservatism that um, he is um, leading should get a bit more scrutiny. You know, he, he hung out with COVID deniers during the pandemic. You know, he stood with people who took shots at J.B. Pritzker during the COVID. And, you know, I've said this to you before, we were led by J.B. Pritzker during that terrible time period, that the governor was the person who was the steady hand uh, for us in, in, in this state. And so, look, and Paul Ballas still with people who fought him on every, at every turn, at every decision. Look, Paul Ballas has a track record, and his track record is one that bears scrutiny, is one that's been embraced by the right wing, and is one that's going to be funded by, like, billion-dollar um, multinational corporations. What is it about Brandon Johnson that makes you believe that he can manage a city as big and complicated as Chicago and all of the government agencies within the power of the mayor's office? As political strategist PG and Greco told me before the debate, Brandon Johnson has never run anything bigger than a classroom. And didn't we just do four years of Lori Lightfoot learning on the job? Do we really want to do that again? The complexity of an educator's work is often devalued because it is a woman's job. 80% of my members are female, and men like Peter often minimize the level of skill, the level of brilliance, the level of complexity it is to teach in a city with such a violent, popular life, with such traumatic impacts, and such segregated spaces and uh, generations of underfunding. And so you put a teacher inside these spaces. Let's take Cabrini Green, for example, Jenner Academy, for example, and you put an individual in there who you are telling to make sure that these children achieve, make sure that they come out as whole people, make sure that they understand that they are but one in an entire society, and provide them with an education so they have opportunity. Mind you, this is in a housing project. Mind you, this is in a neighborhood that has not received the level of love, funding, support, and care until they moved, right, raised the project. And he was charged with going into that school community to figure it out. And he okay, had to that's figure very it impressive, Stacey. No, I, no, but that's not just impressive, Fran. Please give me a moment. That's not just impressive. It's damn near impossible. Is the point that I'm making. So in the city of Chicago at this moment, it is damn near impossible. I put my money on Brandon Johnson because I've seen him do the impossible already. As a middle school teacher in a community that had been robbed and starved of its humanity, and he figured out how to give hope and provide good education. I challenge anyone who wants to run this city to do that first. Right, but that doesn't, that's a different skill, Stacey, than it is to run a city. No, Fran, it is not a different skill than it is to run a city. You got to convince an entire city that has accepted the segregation, that has accepted the underfunding, that has accepted a status that they don't matter, right? to believe in something more than themselves and their immediate needs, and to put forth an effort 
to transform this city into one instead of this trope of tell of two cities. You're going to need Brandon Johnson. And you certainly can't get it from Paul Ballas because they had to run him out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. They had to run him out of Philadelphia. They had to run him out of New Orleans. You understand what I'm saying to you? No, it is the skill set that the city is going to need. And let me also say this because media keeps missing this part. He is a Cook County commissioner. He has almost 400,000 constituents, right? He does run government. He does pass budgets. He is responsible for public safety. Heck, he's responsible for the Cook County Jail. So I am going to say this, Paul Vallis has failed. Brandon Johnson's track record is clear. During last night's first televised debates, both candidates accused each other of making this campaign about race, but it was Brandon Johnson who seemed to fan the flames by claiming that Vallis hangs out with right-wing extremists and opposes the teaching of black history in our public schools. Vallis called that nonsense. Where is the evidence of that? Where's the evidence of that? Listen, when Paul Vallis was here in Chicago as CEO of public schools, he excluded curriculum and he excluded literature from uh, the Chicago public school space. And, or, and it was black. It was black history. It was black literature. So that's the evidence of it. There, there's your evidence. Ken Griffin doubling down on his love for the exclusion of black history with his support for DeSantis is now saying Paul Vallis. Well, in Philadelphia, let me finish. And in Philadelphia, good old Paul Vallis, his administration suspended kindergartners, black kindergartners. There's evidence of that. There's also evidence that black teachers- For what? For what black, were they suspended? Who suspends a five-year-old? What For what were they suspended? You, but, but hold on for a second, Fran. I don't know that you can suspend a five-year-old for anything. Mm. It is utterly ridiculous to say a five-year-old gets excluded and suspended from school. Come on, Fran. For what? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking. How could you possibly justify something like that? That's all. Do you know? Well, I think, I think you should ask Paul. He did it. The CTU is raising dues by $8 a month in part to help bankroll the political action committee that is helping to fund Johnson's campaign. You, you've already given him hundreds of thousands of dollars and taken out a loan against uh, future dues to, I believe. How do you justify this? Do you expect any pushback? Um, I didn't raise dues. You didn't? Uh, no. So that's okay, that's I a false report dues. in Politico. It's not true? Well, of course, it's a false report in political. That's what they do. So um, you're not raising you're not raising dues for this. No, I did not raise dues. Okay. Um, and but you and have two, given you have given uh, Brandon absolutely. hundreds and hundreds of thousands. How do hey. you justify what is at stake for the union? And a lot of people are worried about turning the mayor's office over to a CTU organizer. Okay, one question at a time. One, one question at a time. So you asked me if we raised dues. I said, no, we didn't raise okay. dues. The, okay. The second question is, why do we support Brandon? 
you know, no, no, I I'm, I'm asking, doesn't he owe you and won't he owe you and have to deliver for you in the mayor's office to pay, as payback for what you've done for him? If he makes it, Isn't it will be illegal? in large part because of you. No, but I mean, in terms of but no, what do Fran, you expect you're, you're accusing me of something illegal. He can't pay me back. He I don't mean that, but you know, I'm talking about back. political payback. You have a contract that's up next year. What do you want from him? What do you expect from we, him? What will he do wanna, for you in the mayor's office? We want Brandon Johnson, a middle school teacher, to give us preparation periods. We want our elementary school teachers to have like 45 minutes a day to prepare for their classes. That's what we want. What else do you want? Um, we want black children on the south side of Chicago to have a house to live in because we have nearly 20,000 students without homes. Anything else? Um, a social worker and a nurse in every school, libraries and South Side and West Side schools because they don't have them anymore. We want a pipeline of black teachers to teach in the Chicago public schools to make up for the ones that Paul Vallis fired. We want to make sure that when newcomers, immigrant children survive the trauma of their trip to America, that they have a structure in their school communities where they're supported. That's what we want. And what about school closings? Paul Vallis wants scores of CPS buildings now operating more than half empty to forge partnerships with charters and parochial schools if they can't be turned into business incubators or occupational training centers. Uh, he says charter schools are, are not for profit public schools. They just don't have union representation. These are not private schools. Sorry, teachers union, but that's the truth. What do you say about that? And what do you expect from from uh, Brandon Johnson when the moratorium on school closings expires uh, in 2025? I expect an elected school board to make those decisions. Mayor Lysa will be the last mayor that has complete control of the Chicago public schools. We're going to get an elected school board that deliberates with communities, um, with all stakeholders, um, to conclude the best way to move forward with public education in Chicago. We're going to negotiate this contract with an elected school board. Right. But Brandon Johnson has said he'll be at the table. How's that going to work? He can work? be at the table, but there will be an elected school board. The power of that school board is with the voters now. But how's that going to work when you're staring across the table at a guy who used to work for you? He'll be he'll be staring at our lawyers. And yeah. our lawyers and Brandon will be staring at an elected school board. What I'm saying, Fran, is that this is different. We don't have mayoral control anymore. We have an elected school board. Brandon Johnson was responsible as an organizer, as a teacher of expanding democracy in the city of Chicago. We have an elected school board. His work as an organizer can potentially help him with that school board, but there's no more mayoral control in this city. Parents, community people, 
retired educators, those are the people who will be running to um, create and implement and reflect on school policy in this city. Not the mayor of Chicago anymore. That's dead. That's over. They don't get to do it anymore. Paul Vallis also wants to lengthen the school day and school year and use TIF money, surplus money, to create a school voucher program. What's wrong with that to give choice? I don't even know why anyone still listens to Paul Vallis talk about schools. He got kicked out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. He got kicked out of Philadelphia. He got kicked out of New Orleans. He well, should have been kicked all right, out of I know here. what you're but saying so, there, but... but- but come on, Fran. The fact that we're still listening to him give any type we're of We're listening like, to him because he's the mayoral front runner going into a runoff with two people. We have to listen to him and 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 take seriously his proposals. He wants a voucher program. What's wrong with that? You know what's wrong with the voucher program. It marginalizes the educational opportunities for black children in Chicago. It narrows the ability to offer full curriculum. It, it, it underfunds the neighborhood schools that are already in existence. Look, Paul Vallis is trying to resurrect the, the educational deform that Karen Lewis came to CTU fighting in 2010. That's a rerun. And he got it wrong. He got it wrong because it led to ROM closing 50 schools in the city of Chicago 10 years ago in 2013. He got it wrong because we do not have the black teachers that we used to have in this city because he blamed them for failure and did not support their efforts by funding their schools, by providing full curriculum, by giving them agency and voice and leadership in their school communities. He fires them. He fired all the people in those schools. He started the practice of turning schools around. Paul Vallis doesn't have good ideas when it comes to public education. And again, thank God we'll have an elected representative school board. How would the negotiations go if Paul Vallis were the mayor? What do you think? Paul Vallis won't get the pleasure of sitting across the table from the Chicago Teachers Union. An elected school board gets that pleasure. Right. But do you think that there's a greater likelihood of a strike if Paul Vallis is the mayor of Chicago? Paul Vallis won't be our boss. He won't be our boss because he won't be Brandon Johnson. He won't be our boss because we'll have an elected school board. Our boss will now be a superintendent instead of a CEO. It will be someone, hopefully, that understands public education. Should should Pedro Martinez be retained, do you think? I don't get to make those decisions. The only thing that I can tell you is that Pedro and I have interacted well um, so far. Um, and there's a lot to do. So, you know, I don't get to make those decisions. Ultimately, at um, an elected school board will be making that decision. And I believe that they'll make good decisions or they'll make decisions that they'll be accountable for. Um, I just hope that if it's Pedro or whomever it is, that we can figure out how to engage and interact and, 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 and find our shared values and work towards those things. Now, Lori Lightfoot offloaded quite a bit of uh, costs from the city to the, te- to the uh, CPS, Security Pensions Sanitation. Will you ask Brandon Johnson to reverse that? 
We will see. Here's the thing, friend, that I think people are missing in this. The entire structure and the operations of the Chicago public school system is going through a renaissance. We don't have to ask a mayor. We're going to have an elected school board. The ways in which Chicago public schools has operated up until this point is going to change because you're going to have that. But other do you people. think those those that offloading that seems to set the elected board up for a fall should that be reversed? By whoever. Look, I don't think you should underfund public education. No, you know, you know, this union fights for full funding, full resourcing. We've always thought um, that mayors have treated our school um, district, um, our classrooms as piggy banks. Um, so, of course, we're against that. Um, but I just want to make it clear that mayor oral control, thanks to our coalition. Of, um, of fighters, like we, we have an elected school board. That's a good thing. And it gives us another pathway forward. Johnson has unveiled an $800 million plan to tax the rich to help bankroll a billion dollars in social spending. That's the cornerstone really of his anti-violence strategy. It originally included a metro commuter tax on suburbanites working in the city, but he dropped that one like a hot potato when it got to be too controversial. It still includes a financial transaction tax, a head tax, a hotel tax, a bunch of other taxes that Vallis and Lightfoot and a lot of other people fear would drive jobs and businesses out of Chicago. What does, what do you say about that? I think I heard him say that it's a living document and that he is going to be um, at the table with people to figure out how to bring in enough revenue um, to keep us safe and to fully resource city services. That's what I think I heard him say. So if it's a living document, then um, people have an opportunity to weigh in. So what taxes should he raise? What would you like to hey, see? What would I like to see? You yeah, know, Fran, I got <laughs> I would like to see our schools fully funded. Quite frankly, I would have liked to see a fair tax at the state level. Um, but people like Ken Griffin, who's supporting Paul Vallis, torpedoed that for their own little selfish reasons. And then they scurried uh, and then he scurried to uh, Florida with his uh, tail tucked between his legs. That's what I would have liked to see. Yeah, all right. Well, that, that ship is well, sailed no, now. But it's, but, but, well, it's not just sailed. It hasn't sailed because he keeps coming back to Chicago. He, Ken Griffin said he left, but he came back yesterday. He weighed in the mayoral race after torpedoing a fair tax. So you got to ask Paul Vallis, why would someone who has put this state in a financial bind now want you to leave this city? Why does he want him to leave? See, this is about Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin told Rahm Emanuel in 2013 that he was mad at him because he only closed 50 schools. He should have closed 125 schools. The same Ken Griffin that said that the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois did not need more revenue. Well, I can tell you that in the Inglewood neighborhood, people would agree that we need more revenue. And Ken Griffin got in the way of that. And now he's supporting Paul Vallis. Okay. So what revenue should we go to now then? What revenue should we go to now? Yeah. Well, let's what, leave what that up to the governor. 
I favor revenue that is going to sustain school communities that get to have fine arts programs and sports programs that are fully funded. I support revenue for this city that will help erase um, the red lines that still um, keep Black people on the South Side and the West Sides of Chicago and underfunded communities. Look, people, the city is going to have to have revenue. It is. The fair tax was the fairest way, the best okay, way to Okay, but now without that, that revenue. What, what revenues do you favor locally to solve these problems and fully fund the schools, as you say you have to do? What revenues do we favor? You know, we yes. haven't put out a tax plan in, in quite some time at CTU. Maybe that's something we need to be revisiting so I can answer your question more cogently because we haven't done that in quite a few years. I think the last time we did it was under the Lewis administration. So um, perhaps we should uh, convene our committee and, and start working on that again. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. The CTU and United Working Families got tired of waiting for Chewy Garcia to make up his mind about running for mayor and endorse one of their own in Brandon Johnson. Now, uh, Chewy enters the race anyway. He finishes fourth he, at 14%, just under. Have you talked to Chewy, whose mayoral campaign you backed heavily in 2015? Is the progressive family going to get back together? Will he endorse Johnson? And what exactly is this rift about? Um, so I'm not aware of a risk. I'm aware of choices that people made. And um, I have not talked to Chewy recently. And, um, you know, listen, we're here. So whatever it was, it isn't anymore. Um, the city of Chicago is going to need progressive leadership. And I know that um, Congressman Garcia is going to be um, responsible as an elder statesman. Um, to bring his support along with the support of the 22nd Ward um, to the forefront at this point. It depends on it to the point that you made earlier. Um, we've been in this fight together, Karen Lewis, um, perhaps the most iconic leader of this union. Um, she said Chuy Garcia when she was unable to do it in 2015. And it was that partnership, that coalition that gives us this moment. Um, I know that Chewy is forever grateful for Karen's support, and he has even said it, that he is indebted to Karen for her support. So I fully expect um, the congressman um, to offer uh, his support for Brandon and, and his entire team to offer that support, quite frankly, because we've built those things together. So why haven't you talked to him? I don't know. I've been busy. Frank, you know I have three kids. <laughs> <laughs> and every activity. I would think that would every, be one of your first calls after the first round. Uh, and after every activity, Fran, you know I am from I am from soccer practice to choir practice to dance practice, and everything that my kids do is outside of their school community because they're not fully funded. So um, I, I travel a lot with my children. Look, um, I'm a union leader. My first call um, after the election. Um, was to um, my officers to say, look at, look at our movement. That was my first call. Now, perhaps that's the first call for Brandon and Chewy, but I'm not running for mayor. I'm running a union. And so my first call most naturally okay. was to my leadership team um, and to celebrate with them. 
defund the police. Brandon doesn't say that anymore, but he has pointedly refused to say he would fill the 1,700 police vacancies or fully fund the police department's $1.94 billion budget. In fact, he wants to cut at least $150 million from the police budget by reducing the number of supervisors, and he would create even more police vacancies by promoting 200 detectives. Crime is the number one issue in this election. Why shouldn't voters be concerned about that? Because I think that you're talking about it wrongly, Fran. What I heard Brandon said is that he's going to scaffold. He said, number one, um, it isn't true (laughs) that you can snap your fingers and get over a thousand new police officers on the street. He said it's going to take you anywhere from 18 to 24 months. So you have a time frame in between 18 and 24 months that you have to figure out because just like you said, it's an immediate concern. And what he said, immediately we can promote people while we are backfilling those positions. He said, immediately we can put um, treatment, um, in the four. He said 40% of the calls that go to 911 are mental health care calls. They're not social workers at 911. They're police officers. So he says, let's get the right type of personnel so we can do our work most effectively, right? So that's data-driven leadership. Data-driven leadership says 40% of the calls are mental health care calls. So we're going to need people who are mental health care professionals to do that. He said that we need to solve crimes. And in order to solve crimes, you need detectives to do that. So let's put forth a group of detectives to begin to solve those crimes, because actually solving crime is a deterrent to crime. So what I heard him say is, as you are putting this together, you're also training those who need to come up. So that sounds like a teacher's plan to me, one where you're scaffolding, one where you're pacing and understanding the timeline, and one where there is always action happening, simultaneous action happening. See, those are the type of skills that you get when you teach middle school. Okay. Stacey Davis-Gates, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck as we race to the finish line of this mayor's race. It's going to be very interesting one way or another. And good luck with all those running around to soccer and all the various other activities with your kids and your mom and your husband and all the things that you're juggling. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate it. And we will see you all next week. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.